All right, let's begin with a show of hands poll. Um, how many people here love their mother? Go ahead. The sad thing is last night it wasn't 100%. That's all right. It's okay. It was over 90%. How many people here love coffee? Go ahead. That's right. We're not keeping records. Uh, how many people here love the Seahawks? Okay, good number. How many people love country music? Yeah, that's generally a smaller number. Um, how many people love Jesus? Lots of people. That's awesome. How many people, how many parents love their children? Again, not quite 100%. So it's all right. So, so honestly, you guys love all those different things. You love them, right? That, now, we've just encountered one of the many silly drawbacks of the English language here. Uh, here's another example. Look at these seven different words. Though, through, cough, rough, plow, ought, and burrow. All of them end with the phonetic sound of, really, if you read it, it's oga, right? But the seven different sounds with the same series of four letters. That's English, right? Here's another example. Uh, two or two or two. And then there's the uh, often debated on the internet, your or your, well, it's not really debated, just people misuse it, your or your, and C, C, or C, right? There's countless other ones, uh, examples. Now, um, as we just saw, the word love is equally as problematic because will anyone argue that they really love their mother the same way they love the Seahawks? I mean, really, whose mom has a Super Bowl ring? Come on. That's not possible. Seriously, we all know how inadequate this single English verb, sometimes noun, can be for describing how we feel about the things and people we care deeply for. In the immortal words of Peter Wolf, anybody remember the Jay Giles band? Love stinks, at least as a word, right? But in ancient Greek, it's the language of your New Testament, there are four distinct words for our single word, love. And three of those Greek words actually appear in your New Testament. And stick with me here for a few minutes as we briefly explore the differences because it will be important for understanding how loving our kids can be done God's way. Now, the word, the one of the four, which does not occur in your Bible is the word eros in Greek. And it's from this that we get our English word erotic. That's the root of it. And it means exactly what you are currently thinking it means. It's a hubba hubba, yeah, yeah, that kind of love, right? It's romantic sexual love. That's what it means. Next, we have philia. And philia, it's a friendship sort of love. In fact, take note of the name of the big city in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. That's where we get that same word. Now, this is love because something possesses a quality that attracts us, but in an, not in an eros sort of way. This is the word we use to say, I really feel you spicy food, or I feel you chocolate ice cream, that sort of thing. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that the hypocrites feel you to stand on the corner and pray. They love to be seen. They feel you to be seen. Then there is agape. The Spanish-speaking church that meets in this building on Sunday afternoons, the name of that church is Iglesia Agape, or the Church of Sacrificial Love. Sometimes this word agape is rendered in your English Bible as charity. It's the kind of love God has for us, 
And it's the kind of love Jesus says we should have for God and for our neighbors. Matthew chapter 22, you could read it this way. Agape God and agape your neighbor as yourself. This kind of love is not based on the worthiness of the subject like eros and philia are. It is based on the character of the giver. And then there's storge or affection. This kind of love is not really chosen like agape is chosen. It's not just based on your personal preferences. It's the word used to describe the love of a parent for a child. It's not a casual love based on what one prefers or not. It's more instinctive. We tend to choose our friends based on philia. But storge sort of chooses us. This is the word used in Matthew 11 when Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. One could arguably have translated it, they accused Jesus of loving sinners like his own children. He storgated them. Now, so far in this series, we've talked about disciplining your children, the hardest thing, creating a stable marriage for your kids, the second most important thing, sharing your faith with them, the most important thing. Now, we come to the greatest thing, loving your kids. Now, one might wonder at the necessity for a sermon on loving your kids. Really? Isn't loving your kids like breathing or eating? Doesn't Doesn't it just happen? I mean, what's to teach? Well, the first thing that pops to mind for me is, what do you mean by love? That's the real question, right? For example, advocates for same-sex marriage have coined a motto, love is love. What do you think they mean by that? Does it mean that the eros or sexual love that a woman might feel for a man is exactly the same as what a woman might feel for another woman? Probably, that's what they mean. Do they mean that the philia, friendship love, that one man might feel for another is the same as the eros love that two men might feel, the sexual love they might feel? Yeah, I think they probably mean that by love is love. Now, do they mean that the storge love that a man feels for his 12-year-old stepdaughter is exactly the same as the eros love that he might feel for her? I don't think they probably mean that. So everyone can agree that despite what I assume is well-meaning propaganda, that love is in fact not love. Love depends. Love depends. Eros for one's children is understood to be not only sinful, but a sickness, and to my knowledge, universally criminal. Philia cannot apply to love for children because by definition, philia is based on a set of preferences. And all parents will speak of the sometimes overwhelming love they feel for their unborn children long before they know anything about them. So when it comes to loving our children, we are left with storge and agape, those two. I'd like to explore the characteristics of storge first. And for a lot of this, I'll be drawing from the great work by C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, and I highly recommend this book. Now, storge is the kind of love we have for the familiar, the comfortable. It's an indiscriminate sort of love. It kind of sneaks up on us and overtakes us. In that sense, it shares some characteristics with eros in that we don't really choose it. It kind of happens to us. In some sense, we can think of storge as biological. It's almost like an instinct. The scholarly definition of storge includes the words affection, especially as for a parent to a child. 
And you can see Storge at work in a mother's nurturing embrace of her baby, in the cooing and spontaneous smiles of strangers watching a toddler do something particularly cute. It's that sound that many women make when they encounter something adorable. Watch this. It's Storge. That is Storge love, right? Storge is the most humble of the loves. It's organic and natural, but modest. It does not crave in the way Eros does. It has a nurturing, protective desire in it. We don't choose Storge. We are drawn to the other by the impulse, and then we grow to appreciate the qualities we discover in them over time. Where in philia, for example, we are drawn to those qualities in the first place, and then our desire flows out of that. You can't pride yourself on feeling storge any more than you could pride yourself on feeling sleepy at bedtime. Storge is the most comfortable, least ecstatic kind of love. Lewis describes it like an old pair of shoes. Familiar, easy to slip into. One sort of surrenders to storge easily. One falls in storge. Think of it like this. You walk into a pet shop with a set of criteria in mind of a dog that you want. You've thought about it, you've researched it, you've carefully examined your feelings about a dog, and only then do you go to the pet shop. And when you see the dog that meets all those criteria, for example, it must be a female, golden lab, no more than 12 weeks old, the pick of the litter with a slightly shorter than standard tail. So you shop, 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 and when you find that dog... It's philia. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's a resonance with qualities that you look for in the other. Now, but some people will walk into a pet store with nothing more specific in mind than, I want a dog. And they browse the kennels, and then there's this sudden feeling when they encounter the scruffy, lop-eared mutt over in the corner chasing its own tail, and they just, oh, they're done. That's it. That's storge. Now, unless there is a clinical condition or something has gone very wrong spiritually, every parent is issued storge for their child. We don't choose it, and we don't have to manufacture it. It it, it comes like an accessory with the baby. (laughs) You know, you get a car seat and a pacifier and storge. It all comes along with it. It's part of God's physiological plan, which ensures that kids get nurtured and raised to maturity. So the astute among you have returned to the question I asked earlier. Well, if love for a child just happens to us, why a sermon, Hazen? Why are we wasting our time with this? But there's some sobering news about storge. By itself, left undeveloped over time, it can go bad. It kind of has a shelf life. It's not that it will decay and disappear. It turns into vinegar. It gets bitter. It becomes something else altogether, even something poisonous. You've all seen it, and maybe some of you have actually lived it. You know, the helicopter parent and the ill-behaved child? The parent is clinging, mewling, and indulgent. The child seems to seize the affections of the parent and throw it right back in the parent's face. It's It's like the more the parent piles on the treats and the permissions, the more the offended and hostile the child becomes. It happens with toddlers. It happens with teenagers and with adult children. 
The parent swoops in to finish the homework assignment, storms into the teacher's office, wild-eyed and hysterical, demanding to know why their little angel failed math just because they didn't do any of the math work. I mean, ask any educator around here, and they will tell you this is now a common, common occurrence. The parent, um, mom and dad, persistently provide financial bailouts and justifications for why their 30-something child can't support themselves. Right? All right, so we're getting the picture here of storge that's turned to vinegar. This is storge that's gone sour. It's not love anymore. It's idol worship. It's a violation of the first commandment. The parent has let storge grow moldy and rotten, and what began as love for a child has become all about them. Now the storge is about just trying to keep that feeling going. It's just about their life and their experience. And we can all nod our heads because we've seen it so clearly. So what makes us think that the kids themselves can't see it as clearly as we do? They know. That's why the child instinctively responds with with disdain and even violence. They know deep down that all the indulgences are just meant to make the parent feel good. They're not actually about loving the child. The child is then forced to deal with the terror of being the one who is actually in control of the relationship. And kids are not equipped to do that. It's terrifying to the child to realize that they're in control. Sometimes the parent is expecting storge to be returned from the child. I loved you. Why don't you love me? A dark spiral begins at this point. The parent begins to grasp wildly for what they feel they are not getting from their child. This is how you get all the drama, the sudden outbursts of rage and tears. Like Rick shared last week, the mother of the toddler who's chasing behind, why are you doing this to me? This kind of unpredictable and self-centered behavior on the parent's part makes them even more unlovable to the kid. So the child withdraws in fear at first and then finally in repulsion. So the parent becomes more panicky, acting out with more dramatic tantrums, more elaborate concessions, and the child pulls away even more and on and on it goes. Sometimes the parent begins to see the child just as an extension of themselves. And so the child's success and happiness are stolen by the parent. I've seen mothers and fathers who are downright doting on their kids, meeting all their needs, giving them the best, and even holding them to account, disciplining their child, paying a lot of attention to the kid. And then when they're faced with the ingratitude of the child, they cry out, why, why do they hate me? I love my kids. I've given them everything. But they never stopped to ask if the child wanted the things or needed the things that the parent was giving them. Because the child is mostly just a fashion statement, a status symbol, if you will, they feel the right to dress them the way they want to, sign them up for the activities they want to be a part of, shower them with the gifts they would have wanted at that age. Parent becomes their only identity. And so to project and protect that identity, there is a sickening 24-7 white-hot spotlight on that child because this is the parent's extension of their identity into the world. When the kid pushes back gently on that, well, they're met with waves of guilt and shame. If the child fights back, they're labeled an ingrate. 
Sensitive children can become spoiled and cowed at the same time. When they don't live up to the parent's image, they might be ridiculed, shamed, or punished. And when they cooperate with the parent's propaganda program, they are lavished with rewards. Just not always the rewards they want, and certainly not for any real success of their own. A corrupted storge becomes jealousy. You can see this especially with older children. If they strike out on their own, they're ridiculed. Oh, off to the fancy college, huh? Um, oh, go ahead and play your music. That was one in our house, right? Oh, so you're, you're a church person now. Too good to have a couple beers with the old man? Corrupted storge dislikes change. That's why when a child has had enough and breaks away, or simply by God's grace grows up and gets out of this cycle, the parent will sometimes find a replacement to keep their storge going. The overly pampered pet, the fashionable cause, the, uh, the grandkids, that can happen. Storge left to itself will grow corrupt. It's good and right and God-given, but it's meant to be developed and grown into something more. Agape. Sacrificial love. Agape is the love God shows to us in the cross. It is a conscious, volitional, and giving sort of love. There is no part of agape that is self-serving, and it is not based on the worthiness of the object, however cute or admirable. It generates from the heart, from the character of the lover. Parents, in order to love our children, we must begin very early to consciously add agape to storge, That we naturally offer. As we've already seen, this is a command given for all our relationships. Remember Matthew 22, agape your neighbor as yourself. But when we have a potent storge love in place, like parents do for their children, we can easily mistake the two. You see, storge kind of imitates agape. In Paul's famous chapter about love, 1 Corinthians 13, He says that agape, among other things, is not arrogant, that it's long-suffering, it's kind, and that it loves goodness. It shares these characteristics with a healthy storge. But remember, Paul is not talking about storge in 1 Corinthians 13. He's not talking about eros, even though 1 Corinthians 13 is read at weddings. He's He's talking about agape. And so agape also does not envy. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape never fails. We simply can't say those same things about storge. We, We can't guarantee them. Because It's, in a sense, a natural love, like eros. And so it can be corrupted 
in the opposite direction of all those things. Parents, parents can be jealous of their kids. They can dishonor them. They can seek their own needs first. They can be short-tempered, hold grudges, tell and believe lies, cause harm, refuse to trust. They can despair. They can give up, and they can simply fail, but still honestly claim to feel love for their children at the same time. Right? I've done all those things, but I've never stopped loving my kids because storge, it's corruptible. But God's kind of love, agape, simply is not susceptible to that stuff. Agape is immune. Now, remember, it's not that storge is bad. It's just limited. It's not enough to be successful at the hardest job you'll ever love. Agape is, in a sense, a supernatural love. It begins in heaven, passes through the parent, and then to the child. So, how do we choose agape? Well, in a sentence, here's the sermon. You could have gone out in sunshine and just had this, right? Here's the sermon. Become a student of your child. Learn how your child receives and experiences love. In his excellent book, The Five Love Languages of Children, Gary Chapman explains how different kids feel loved through different means. Storge doesn't always recognize whether the kid actually feels loved. It's not of primary concern. To storge. Agape, on the other hand, is very concerned that the child actually experiences love. For now, let's look at the five categories of love languages and try to spot which ones your child responds to the best. Choosing the ones that speak to your child and using them is an act of agape. It is a selfless love with no envy. It's a protecting love that embraces truth, trusts the child, never gives up, and never fails. First category, it's touch. And this is a very common one. Think about your child. Do they come and request hugs from you when they're little? Do they just come up and hold you when they're older? My 19-year-old still comes in sometimes and plops on the couch on top of me and wants to wrestle. Wrestling, it's touch, that sort of thing. Do they naturally, they give and receive kisses and touches? Do they snuggle up next to you? That's somebody who speaks the touch language. Next, it's words of affirmation. Do, do Some people do not feel loved unless they hear the words come out of your mouth, I love you. Children are the same way. Do they just need to hear it? Then there's time spent. This is an interesting one, and it's huge in this day and age. 21st century busyness. Do they just like to be in your presence? Do they ask you to go do things? And you get a sense, it's not about the doing of the thing. It's just about being in proximity to you. Do they come and plop down next to you as you're reading a book just to be in the same room with you? They follow you around? That's time spent. Then there's gifts. What? Gifts? Yeah, it's a legit thing. Sometimes the kid, do you watch how a kid receives a gift? Do they keep collections? Do they keep, do they remember? I remember what I got for, what you gave me for Christmas in 2010. It was that, I don't remember Christmas 2016. I, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. So, But some people remember those gifts. And do they give gifts? Are they always coming home with the, I found this lump of grass and two snails, and it's for you, Mommy. Thank you. Right? Acts of service. And this is a big one for dads. Well, I keep a roof over your head and food on the table. Well, that's a legitimate expression of love. Do your kids ask you to, Daddy, could you do this? Mommy, I need this. 
Do they really appreciate? Do they say thank you for those sorts of things? Those are five categories. Now, how can you figure out which of these languages your child naturally speaks? Well, you got to bear in mind, first of all, that most people are a blend of more than one, and they can change over time and under different circumstances. So here's how you can figure it out. Number one, observe how your child expresses love to you. This is really good for kids 5 to 10 years old because they haven't figured out how to manipulate this yet. Exactly. Well, most of them. Do they say, thank you, Daddy? I love you, Mommy? Is, is this just naturally words of affirmation come out of... Well, then that might be a words person. The spontaneous unconscious hugs that just, you know, they don't even see you. They just reach for you, touching you, holding on to you without thinking, right? If your teenager does that, then you know. Are they keeping collections of gifts? gift givers? Are they putting aside other treats just to be with you? Other things they could do. Well, they might be a time spent person. So watch how they express love to you, the parent. Next, observe how your child expresses love to others, to their siblings, to their friends particularly. This is really good for older kids because they can't manipulate you with this. This is how they're naturally expressing it to other people. Um, do, Do you overhear lots of encouragement? When they're talking to their friends, no, you can do it. Go get. Do they go to their friends' games to support them to their shows? Do you are they no, are they a note writer, that sort of thing? Um, are they throwing parties for their friends, in, inviting sleepovers, creating events to be with their friends? That's a time spent person. Next, listen to what your child requests most often. Now, if your child is constantly like, hey, look what I did. Put this up on the refrigerator. Hey, Dad, are you watching? Are you watching? I'm going to climb the monkey bars. That's probably somebody. Go get them, kid. They're looking for words from you. They're looking for you. Am I pretty? Watch me twirl, Daddy. Right? That's somebody who's looking for words of encouragement. Uh, are these, can we go for a walk? Are, are you going to the grocery store? Can I come too? That's somebody who's looking for time spent. Um, Dad, will you show me how to do the, with the drill? And the, Mommy, how do you bake cookies, right? Acts of service. That's somebody who's maybe very interested in that. Finally, or not finally, next, notice what your child most frequently complains about. Okay, this is tricky. Uh, uh, every kid complains, it's, at least for the short term. Uh, you know, when your kid says, why can't we go on vacation like Bobby? It may be more like, I want to be like Bobby than anything else. But maybe mimicking other people's complaints, but watch for patterns in this. Watch for repeated patterns. Dad, we don't wrestle anymore. How come we don't wrestle? Um, We don't go to the park like we used to. I miss swinging on the swings with you. There's time spent. There's, how come you don't make my lunch? I miss you making my lunch. There's an act of service, okay? So if you're hearing those things in a pattern. And then finally, give your child a choice between two options. Experiment. And you do this over the course of a couple of weeks, and I guarantee you'll find some interesting things. Give them two choices between two different love languages. Okay, hey, Frankie, I got Saturday off this week. Do you want to go fishing, or do you want to go to the outlet mall and get new basketball shoes? Ooh, get the basketball shoes. Ooh, there's a gift-giving kid. I just want to go fishing with you. Oh, okay, there's a, probably a time-spent kid. Um, honey, uh, this afternoon, um, I, I don't have enough time, but I can either fix the radio in your car or... Um, we can go to the movies. Active service or some time spent. So do this for a few weeks, and I guarantee you'll find out things about your kid. Okay, let's practice this now. You ready? 
During each week of this series, we've asked the students in our Morph and Relic youth groups to anonymously answer a question about parenting. You can see some of the previous week's answers on our AC3 blog. We've got a couple of videos up there. For this week, the question was, how do you know your parents love you? And I'm going to share a few excerpts, and I want you to listen for the love languages. I'm going to quiz you on it as we go, okay? First of all, my foster mom loves me by always telling me how proud she is of me. She calls me sweetie and always says she loves me. Next, I don't see my dad too often throughout the day. I only see him when I go to bed, and not every night he even says something to me. Even if I say, I love you, he just stands there looking at his phone, and it sometimes makes me not feel like I matter to him. What's the love language expressed in those two? Words of affirmation, that's right. Next. I know my parents love me by all they do to support me and reinforce my life in the most positive way they can. Next. I know she loves me because she may not have much, but with what she's got, she has a roof over our heads, clothes on our backs, and food on the table. I love this one. My stepdad loves me. He could have chosen any family he wanted, but he chose us. What are those two? Hmm? Acts of service. That's exactly right. That child feels loved by what their parents do for them. Next. They show me by small presents that are for no reason, just for being me. And I know my parents love me because they buy me things. Okay, that was an easy one. Next. They want to have family time. They want to cuddle. Next. I know they love me because they hug me and kiss me. Touch. Also an easy one. Next, my father is very intentional about showing me love. He calls and invites me over without wanting anything from me. He takes interest in what I like just because I like it. Time spent. And here's a bonus one for you. You ready? Follow me now. They think of me and get me things. They feed me and care for me. They hug me when I'm sad. They constantly tell me I'm smart and worth everything. They hang out with me. All five of that kid belongs to polyglot parents. They speak multiple languages, and that kid feels loved. Okay, here's some more bonus material. I wanted you to hear how kids feel loved through discipline. We talked about this last week, but this showed up over and over again in these answers. Your kids feel loved when you discipline them. Listen to this. I may be upset or frustrated when they say no at first, but later on I realize that no helped me. Next. I know my parents love me because we constantly argue. I know that sounds backwards, but if they did not love me, then they would let me do whatever I wanted. Smart kid. And finally, I want you to hear a couple of expressions of agape love so clearly laid out by these children, they are experiencing agape love from their parents. Listen to these. I always see love as a sacrifice, which means someone taking their own time and giving it to others. Sacrifice. Next, because everything they do, sacrifice, give me every second of every day. And finally, I know my parents love me because of the sacrifices they make for me. My parents go above and beyond the call of duty to make sure my wants and needs are met. These kids are seeing and experiencing agape love. AC3, your kids see you. If you could go through all of those answers like I had the chance to do, 
they know you. <laughs> they're, not, they're not stupid. And they're, they're very observant. And they're watching. Here's the question, though. Do you see your kids? Do you see them? There's a, there's a people group in Africa that their greeting is not hi or hello. Their greeting is, I see you. Because it lends dignity. It speaks to the value of the other person. In fact, there's a story of, of, of seeing. Like the, the five love languages are examples of when you, when you choose those, that means that you're seeing your child. Two things happen. Number one, parent, you see your child. Number two, your child knows that they are seen. That's what living out those love languages does. And we see a, an example of, of love as being seen in Genesis chapter 16. Read it later if you get a chance. Genesis 16. And it's a story about Abraham and Sarah. And God promises them a child, but the child's not coming along uh, their uh, uh, schedule. So Sarah gets the idea, well, hey, Abraham, why don't you sleep with Hagar, your Egyptian slave woman, and then that way we'll have a child, circumventing God's plan. So they do it. Hagar becomes pregnant. And Hagar, she gets a little arrogant about it. Well, I'm the one that can have a baby, and you can't. Well, Sarah and Hagar, it turns into family drama, right? And so once this conflict starts, Hagar runs away, pregnant, out into the desert, right? So she's at the end of a rope, and she doesn't know what to do, and then God appears to her. And what it says is that the angel of the Lord found her. What is explicit in that word, that God found her? What's explicit about that? He was looking for her. He was searching for her. He saw her. And he, and he put his arms, I saw what she needed. And he spoke to her, gave her water, and encouraged her and sent her back home and said, I, I've got this, and your child is going to receive a blessing. And sent her back home. And, and Hagar was so moved by this. This is an Egyptian woman who grew up in a pantheon of these Egyptian gods, demigods, who were just raucous, you know, just superhuman. They didn't care about people, but she encountered the one true God, and she gave him a new name, a name that God embraced so much that it comes to us in his inspired word. She gave God a new name, El Roi, El Roi, the God who sees me the God who sees me. Now, Alan Creek, some of you parents, you never had a parent who saw you. Or maybe they didn't see you very often, or maybe they tried, but they never, they never got it right. But your heavenly Father, El Rohi, He sees you. He sees you, and He expresses His agape love in Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think about Jesus and the love languages. Jesus is the Word spoken. The Word was God and was with God in the beginning, and then the Word became flesh. You have been spoken to in Jesus. The cross is the most amazing, unparalleled act of service that has ever the world has ever seen for you, an act of service for you. The church, it's a touch. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We embrace one another. This is how we, we hold it. This is how God holds us, is through his church. Forgiveness of sins is the most astounding gift 
I have ever received. The gift of forgiveness. And finally, you talk about time spent. I will have eternity. Eternity with God to be in his presence. That's how much he loves. He loves you, Jesus. Jesus is a measurement of agape love. The cross, all five love languages there because he sees you. So parents, I want you to think about that love that has been delivered to you in that way and how can that love stretch out from you to your children. And parent, non-parent, if you've never experienced that, you can experience it today. It's a choice to open yourself to it. And I'm going to pray for you. And if you've never prayed this kind of prayer before, I want you to come and tell me or tell somebody else, someone that you know, someone that invited you to church today, because this is a monumental moment when you have chosen to embrace the agape love that God has for you. And you will never be the same. Pray with me now. God, I just confess that I don't know how to love right. I I don't, beyond what you've revealed to me through your son, I don't know how to, to love right. And so, so humbly, I, I, I put all my ideas aside and I just embrace you. I embrace what Jesus has brought me. I embrace all the gifts that he's given me through the cross, the forgiveness of sin. I embrace the love that he's shown me, the eternity that is now available to me. I embrace the word that he's given me, the life that he lived, teach me. And I, and I want Jesus to be the center of my universe. I want him to be my king and my forgiver and I accept it now by faith. That it's not about whether I'm good enough. I haven't earned it because I'm lovable. I've been given it because of who Jesus is and because of who you are. And I embrace it now today in a new way. And God, I pray that through that love, you would open me so that I could share it. Because love received must be love shared. So I thank you for that gift. And I move out into my world today, a new person because of your love. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.